podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Everyone knows how important it is to keep their immune system as strong as possible, particularly coming into the cold and flu season. I recently had a cold, so know that all too well. The guys over at Suns are always looking out for ways to help men with their health, and they've done it again with their new ultimate immune health supplement. It's formulated from 11 powerful ingredients and includes all the key vitamins, minerals and amino acids that you need like D, C, B, zinc, larginine and the plant maca. All the things you can expect from a multivitamin. However, it's also got a special ingredient, a beta-glucan called Wellmune, which is clinically proven in 12 scientific trials. One trial in marathon runners led to a 40% reduction in respiratory infections. Another study, it showed a 71% reduction in the number of individuals reporting cold and flu symptoms. So if you're already taking a multivitamin or are looking for something to strengthen your immune system this autumn or winter, then check out suns.co.uk and use the code WISDOM30 to get £30 off your first order. It's the perfect supplement for fighting flus and colds, maintaining energy and hydration, as well as recovery from sport and weekend overindulgence. That's suns, spelt S-O-N-S dot co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. The T20 World Cup has kicked into life over the last few days. We've had a thumping win for England, a statement victory for Pakistan and lots more. You might also have heard that England have made a late addition to their Ashes touring party. I'm Yazrana and to get through all of that today is the Features Editor of Wisdom.com, Tara Hashim, the Managing Editor of Wisdom.com, Ben Gardner and joining us remotely is Mark Butcher. The biggest return in cricket this week, no doubt. Uh, there's no Joe or Phil this week. Joe's in Portugal um, and it's Phil's birthday. Uh, not going to lie, birthdays generally don't prohibit me from, from podding, but I guess me and Phil are very different people. Um, let's start with the biggest news of the week. Ben Stokes is back. Uh, on Monday morning, England announced that their star all-rounder will fly out to Australia alongside the main squad on November the 4th. Writing in the Daily Mirror, Stokes said, I'm buzzing for the Ashes, just buzzing. To be able to confirm to Joe Root that I would be available to join the tour from the start after my second successful surgery on my finger was a great moment. Rooty's reaction when I told him was simply, oh, bloody hell, that's good. Uh, I think a lot of people in the country reacted in a very similar way. Um, anyway, here's Butch's take on the news. Butch, good to have you back with us on the pod. Um, your, your comeback isn't the only one in English cricket this week. Ben Stokes is also back. Obviously, great news that he's both better physically and mentally. From a purely cricketing point of view, how much of a game changer is that for the Ashes? Yeah, it's, it's pretty huge. Um, very, very well welcome back to, to Ben. I think that the fact that the finger injury took a couple of a couple of goes to get it fixed, I think that's been huge. I also, you know, you can't underestimate the uh, the effect that the passing of his father had um, during the, the the course of time where he was trying to trying to still play at the highest level, um, was still involved in bubbles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think you know potentially the, the the mixture of all of those things, mental, physical, um, and emotional, all all became too much even for him, and he had to he had to bow out. So it's it, it's a huge thing for um, for England's chances of regaining the Ashes. I mean that's not <laughs> that's not mess about. 
um, England sort of the, the squad that was picked went down there, sort of went down, uh, was, was picked with, with not much in the way of fanfare. Um, I think most of us uh, could agree that it was, it was probably the, the, the best um, squad that they could have taken, barring you know, one or two um, flights of, of, of fancy or opinions, really. But uh, you know, I don't think anybody could have said, "Well, so and so should definitely be on, been on the plane." And if they had have been, things would have made an enormous amount of difference. Um, but there was one man, and that was that's Ben Stokes. So that's that's utterly huge. I think it, it, Australia, for me, give off the air of a team that's kind of like you know that is very very happy to be to be dishing it out when they're at home. Um, you know, they know that England have not travelled well in Australia for. You know, for many, many, many decades, um, barring, of course, 10, 11. Um, and we're kind of relishing the idea of being able to push around an England team, you know, taking the mickey out of the fact that they might not want to turn up and all this kind of stuff. All of that sort of nonsense banter that's going on in, in the time of COVID, which seems distasteful more than anything else, as well as not particularly funny. Um, all of a sudden, that's not quite so funny anymore now that Ben Stokes is there, because I think he provides Joe Root with a, with a lieutenant, um, with a strong man, with a with a, with somebody that is not there to be to be pushed around, and Australia will be very wary of the fact that he's back on the plane. So um, it's huge. It's huge. The series needed it. Let's be, let's face it. Let's be honest. Um, as far as low key Ashes trips are concerned, this is this one has been right up there um, with the most uh, the most noise being made about whether the uh, the matches will be played at all, um, let alone what's going to happen. Everyone's pretty much written off England from winning the trip before they've even left. Um, ben Stokes going has changed all of that. Um, you know whether that's a, whether that makes any difference in the final shakeup remains to be seen. But it does suddenly mean that there is a, a free song where perhaps there was not one before. Yeah, England fans have been on a bit of a roller coaster in the last month with regards to the Ashes. First, it looked like it might not happen. Then it looked like it is going to happen, but with an England B team, Stokes was unavailable. Now he is available. England aren't favourites, yeah, sure. But how how close do you think the two sides are now with Stokes back? Um, they're a damn sight closer. Um, I think, you know, Australia is still favourites, 100%. But, but let's make no bones about it. This is not a, an Australian team um, to be terrified of. They do still have a very, very fine four-man bowling attack if all of them are, are fit and firing. Um, they have plenty of questions to be, uh, to be answered as far as their batting lineup is concerned, not least in the, in the openers with Warner seemingly on a, an alarming slide and, 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 a, and, a, and a no position for an opening partner at the moment that you could hang your hat on. Tim Payne, again, as captain, I don't know how he hangs on, to be honest with you. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's still, what was it, Joe Root scored more runs this year than he has done his, in his test career. Uh, but he hangs in there as captain, as, as chirper in chief, but he must be um, feeling the pinch, feeling the pressure, all of the... Um, all of the stuff coming out of Australia at the moment is five blokes who could take over Tim Payne's place as keeper batsman in the Australian side. I mean, that's not a terrific point. So, um, look, it, it's, I think it, all of a sudden it's become, it, it, it's been put back in the balance. And a lot of things will depend on, on the start. A lot of things will depend on where they start. I mean, that's not 100% known at the moment. Um, but, I th- but put it this way. For, a, for an Ashes series that was, was looking as though it might not go ahead at all, or at least was going to go, go, on, go ahead as being one of the most low-key in living memory, all of a sudden it's right back up there as being, a, as being something to look forward to at three o'clock in the morning again during the dark winter month. So how much of a difference do you think this makes to the series? <laughs> I don't want to... 
I don't want to make things too downbeat, but uh, for, for England fans, but I still think I still think Australia should win it. Um, but look, it's it's exciting because it it does give England a fighting chance. He's he's the one player Australia would want in their side. I mean, that you could you could look to Root, but they would they would probably argue, well, we've got Steve Smith and, and Marnus. You could look to England's pace attack of you know, Anderson and, you know, if, if fully fit, someone like Archer, but then they've got Cummins, they've got Stark, they've got Hazelwood, they've got the spinner. They don't have, and this is what Australian cricket has, has not had for a long time, they haven't got the, the gun test match all around and that's what Ben Stokes is. You know, he was incredible in that 2019 Ashes. Um, he single-handedly won them that test match at, at Headingley. So, it gives England a chance. We we were you know we've talked about that squad. We talked about that squad when it was announced a couple of weeks ago, and you know the the mood was oh, this is shrug of the shoulders. It's quite boring. This could this could this could be difficult. Um, but Stokes, as what he's capable of doing, changes things. As what he does for the you know the the balance, which is always the key word with with Stokes. What he does for the balance of that team is is huge because he he obviously fills that middle order role, but he also fills that fourth seamer role. Um, so there's a lot of different things that, that that England can do now. They can they can play that spinner with a bit less, you know, worry. I mean, it really improves the chances of England playing a spinner um, because they've got Stokes' bowling to call upon. But mainly, it's just the, the spectacle of the, of the cricketer we're talking about. You know, we're talking about one of the, the best all rounders in the world today. We're talking about a guy who can, like I said, win games, you know, off his own off his own bowling, off his own batting. Um, and it's just it's just adds a bit more excitement to the series because, you know, there's been there's been that feeling where oh this is this is this is just going to be a, another one sided thing and <laughs> it could well be but Stokes has the ability to to, to change a match to change the series yeah and and we we didn't see Stokes famously in 2017 18 and also his his peak in Test cricket actually hasn't been that long he had that incredible 2019. Uh, he was brilliant in South Africa the following winter and he only played just over half of the 2020 summer. Um, and something I've, a point I've made in the pod before is we actually haven't really seen peak Stokes and peak Root at the same time. And this this could be it. Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> let's, I guess let's try and temper just a tiny bit of expectations on Stokes himself in that, you know, he won't have played uh, any top level cricket for a reasonable amount of time coming into this series. But, you know, reading that column in the mirror, just sensing the kind of mood music around everything, he seems like he's, you know, fit and raring to go. It was really interesting, actually. You should read that column if you are, uh, if you haven't yet. Him describing sort of the uh, sort of the, the issue with his finger and how that's now been fixed. And actually, someone pointed out uh, on Twitter that you can, in the photos of him batting in that Pakistan ODI series when he came back and captained, you can see that he can't grip the bat properly. His fingers sort of like. Uh, this with one with his uh, index finger just slightly raised off the bat, and he, he, he did, weirdly still did all right in that series, which just shows how much of a freak he is. But he, he now seems to, you know, he seems like a, a guy invigorated. Uh, so yeah, that's that's obviously enormous. But yeah, so you know, and I, I I'm actually, I mean, I don't know if I'm more positive than Tara, if I just am presenting it in a more positive way. I don't think it quite makes England favourites, but it does change things massively. I think in the uh, like it's so like there's a lot of the problems around the side with the balance that it solves and it's also just like you can you can kind of see it in two different ways before Stokes came in you'd look at the two sides and be like well all of Australia's bowlers basically average you know <laughs> nearly 20 and they have like one guy who averages nearly 50 two average over 60 and the rest all kind of in the 40s 
and England have like Root and then everyone else is basically 35 or under and now it's like well I know Stokes overall average isn't that good but we know he's much better than that and you think well Stokes and Root and then you can kind of convince yourself that the rest can kind of bat around that you're like well Milan's done it in Australia before <laughs> Pope can you know he's very promising does very well on these flat pitches you know Crawley might have the game for these conditions we know what a game changer Josh Butler can be all of a sudden you like can convince yourself that there is like a a batting unit kind of worthy of the name there and that there might be a series that's there to be you know that there's at least an even contest that's still sort of live going into the fourth or fifth uh which is you know much more than England could have hoped for you know two months ago mm. so yeah it's a- yeah I think it's worth also saying as well that it's not just his finger that's got better his he, he took his break initially to look after his mental well-being so it's great to see him in a position where he can play for England again Taha alluded to this earlier about how this will change the balance of the side but Ben what who, who are the winners and losers in the England setup here with, with Stokes Stokes return yeah it's a good question uh because the, and, and the thing is, is as much as Stokes does uh you know he, he opens up the possibilities for the side which does mean there are now decisions to be made um you could say it's a, it's a win for Jack Leach because England can now play four seamers and a spinner but equally I, I could see them going in with just the five quicks because if you have five bowling options you need that guy to hold up an end slightly less and you do get into this strange situation with Leach where you end up having to leave out like an absolutely brilliant seamer for him like one of Robinson Anderson Broad or Wood you, you can't play all those four or Wokes. and Stokes yeah or well or, or Wokes I mean that's even without mentioning Wokes, you'd probably have those four as the top and pecking order and if you have to leave one of those out for Leach like who's really going to have more success in these conditions uh so I can see that going either way uh in terms of the batter who misses out I guess it's probably between Pope and Bearstow. Uh I personally would hope that Pope is the one that uh, stays in the side, but I can see England going with Bearstow's experience and success in those conditions. I, I, it's not at all what I would do, but just trying to get into the minds of the team management, I can see how. But then if, if Root feels he has kind of like his main deputy there in Stokes, I think part of the reason why they stuck with Bearstow for so long, just in general and this summer, is that um, like you just need that kind of, they, they felt they need that experience around and Bearstow, if nothing else, does have lots and lots of experience. He's played what, nearly 80 tests now, which is uh, amazing when you think about what his, his record is overall pretty mediocre. Um, but then the other thing they could do, I suppose, at some point, uh, and this would be things going pretty pear-shaped, but Stokes <laughs> is an option at number three, I guess, uh, with his skills against pace in those conditions. But yeah, I'd say one of Pope or Bairstow, but there'll, there'll be an interesting debate to be had over those two and Leach, possibly good, possibly not. And I guess the Seamers will uh, also win us just because they'll get a bit more rest, I guess. That's true. So it's so deflating for me if, if, if Besto plays. His high score since the start of 2019 is 57. That's a stretch of 34 innings. Um, so I, what, what do you think about Ben's proposed balance to the side there? Would you, go, would you be tempted to bring in Leach or would you stick to possibility of an all-seam attack? Well, when we were sort of picking out our 11s, um, for, for for that first test, I felt really sort of, I felt really annoyed at myself for not picking a spinner. Um, but but that was partly because of the balance, <laughs> that thing. And when when you don't have Stokes, and it just becomes so much more complicated and difficult to pick a side out. Um, but I I always want a spinner in my side, and I'd now now Stokes is there, I'd I'd try and get a spinner in there. So Jack Leach Jack Leach would play for me. But look, that's. <laughs> two months away there's a lot to happen I also feel like it should be said that you know Ben Stokes has not played uh, like I think you mentioned as well Ben but you know Ben Stokes hasn't played a lot of cricket <laughs> you know he's not played a match since since you know a game in in the hundred a few months ago and it's it's you know it's almost like 
let's let's not ask the world of this guy. Let's not be like, okay, now you, you're back. Go to three. You know, win us a test match with that and ball. I mean, that is what everyone is going to be asking for, and what people will be hoping for. But yeah, you know, I, I think expectations should be just slightly slightly tempered as well. Yeah, I I would go for Leach as well. I mean, you can always there's you know you're always going to have to leave out a good seamer, but that's fine. You just bring them in for the next test. England have five tests to play. They're all going to get a go at some point. And a point that is made a lot by England is they, they pick a day. They pick, they, they tend to pick teams for the first day of a test match, which is a bad thing. You've got to pick a team that, you know, test matches unfold in all sorts of strange and weird ways. And, you know, you want to have variety in your attack and in your team to help you sort of adapt to whatever kind of presents itself. And Leach is a very good test match bowler with a very good, overall record including in England okay he hasn't played in these kind of Australian conditions before and it's not where fingers spinners generally do well but we shouldn't just write him off just because very few bowlers of his type do well there we know he's a very consistent bowler uh, I think Silver would describe that as a super strength uh, is consistency and, and we know that if an Australian pitcher sometimes do turn on days four and five and that he is very good when pitchers do that as well so I think there is reason to believe that you know Leach can offer something there uh, and just in one other loser I think because you mentioned Chris Wokes I think he is a reasonably big loser in a way from this because uh, just in terms of just in terms of his chance of Chris playing, Wokes is a loser Ben Gardner <laughs> you asked me who the winners and losers were <laughs> this, is, this is a this is peak journalism from Yaz uh, but Wokes uh, I mean because we, we had a piece written I think maybe by Cameron Ponsonby uh, a week or two ago about how actually this, this could in a way be the winter of Wokes almost for better or worse in that you know England love having that all rounder in it uh, and he would be the only option to kind of be at number seven uh, and kind of balance that side. And now England don't really need that. And you end up in the situation you're in before with Wokes, where probably unfairly has his reputation as a bowler who is, you know, more, much more useful in home conditions, who maybe doesn't quite have the skills away. He, he's shown, you know, shown sometimes recently that he isn't just that bowler. But when England are choosing between him, Robinson, Wood, Broad, Anderson, uh you feel that Wokes more often not might be the bloke to miss out there because his batting is slightly less valuable because you now can have Butler batting at seven. Mm. Yeah, I, I can see all the seamers probably with the exception of Craig Overton playing a pretty big role through, throughout the series. There's a great tweet on a readout from John H. I'm disappointed that England didn't try and keep Stokes a secret. Everyone oblivious than Root getting asked about team changes at the toss. Stokes, he comes in for Craig Overton. Pandemonium, people checking if he meant Wokesy, broadcasters scrambling for, for graphics, a massive missed opportunity. Um, it is a bit of a missed opportunity here for a <coughs> WWE style reveal, uh, a Monday morning There's press no release wasn't quite, the, wasn't quite the vibe. No chance <laughs> of that happening, Phil would have taken a picture of him at Heathrow. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, we've got a question in from Joe Pinkston. Love the podcast, it forms a staple of my week. Everyone is very excited about the Stokes news, me included, but what other player in the international game has a transformative impact on their team when you add them in or take them away, equivalent to that of Mr Stokes? While Australia without Smith in Test cricket are undoubtedly worse, for example, the overall impact of Stokes seems much greater due to his intangibles as well as his genuine all-round ability. The same, I would say, for Pollard in T20 cricket. It would be great to see if there are any modern-day examples of players that rival Stokes's Overall value, as well as those in the history of the game, maybe Jack Callis. Any ideas? Uh, I think Stokes did a bit more bowling than Callis did. So in in that way, I mean, I know Callis is obviously a, a much better bats batter. So you are um, you, 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 you're you're losing out there more from a staffing point of view. But also that side seems to just be kind of stocked with great players. So I guess they they could have replaced him at times. 
Uh, it is hard. I was at first. I was tempted by like Warren in that Australian side because he was in a way sort of like three bowls in one, in that he could like he was that rare leg spinner who could hold up an end. He'd also take your wickets on day one, and he would win you a test single-handedly on day five. But then when he did miss out for a year for that for that for that drugs ban, uh, they had McGill come in and do a perfectly good job. So it, it is really hard to think. It's also there are teams who are you know very dependent on one cricketers, but in a way because of just almost like how big English cricket is on a global scale. So like you could say Shakib back in Bangladesh, yeah, like they're a much weak, weaker side without yeah. him. But then in some ways it's like from a Bangladesh point of view, if they if they lose a series without Shakib in the side, then that will feel like less of a thing. Whereas if England end up not being competitive, that feels like a bigger thing in some ways. I don't know if that's unfair. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. But I think with Shakib, he is, he is probably Bangladesh's best ever batter and arguably their best yeah. ever bowler as well yeah. in, in all formats, possibly. Um, yeah, Shakib was one. Murali is just another one. Just says like how how much bowling he did for Sri Lanka yeah. for so long. Although I guess the um, funny thing with him he, is that when he when as soon as he retired, Hirath suddenly came in as this yeah, kind of like re- ready-made match winner. But but that's you're true. right. And, and without um, those two, they have really struggled. Yeah, everything. I'm trying to think of anyone else. Basically, you're looking for great players in not very good teams. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say with Sri Lanka, you could look at the the batters they had, but then those there are those are a couple. Of people. They're not. We're not talking about one guy here. Like if it was just Sangakara, then maybe. But then there was Jai Wadden. But from that point of view, you could say Lara in that West Indies side. Yeah. Um, mm, when, that's true. Yeah, when their next best player for a while was like you know Carl Hooper. Then they had uh, uh, Shandipal and Sarwan. Yeah, and but I, I guess coming that, that little bit and also Shandipal. You know, there were the, there were the not outs, but and, and I like you know and the, <laughs> there, 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 there were these series when Lara. Uh, uh, when he had these utterly unbelievable individual series and West Indies still got absolutely hammered. And you mm. think if he's not there, like what state would their cricket be in, these, yeah. in, in, be in now? It's yeah, just related to that question though, we were looking up how Stokes' record compares to other great, in inverted commas, all-rounders yesterday. And it's not in it's not that unlikely that he ends his career basically fourth or fifth of all time on the on the metric of batting average minus bowling average. Um, is is is. Batting average is 37 at the moment. You, you expect that to creep up over 40 by the time he ends. And like very, very few players have actually ad, um, finished their career with a batting average above 40 and a bowling average below 30, which is possible for Stokes. Yeah, there's, there's only actually, I think there's only one, right? And that's Aubrey Faulkner, who was pre-Second World War. And I don't think he took 100 wickets. So if you have that cut of 100 wickets, mm. Stokes could be in a club all on his own, possibly, uh, but I, I think someone's something about not putting too much expectation on it. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just, just calm down, everybody. Uh, this month, Choice Cricket Centre are recruiting a new cricket bat maker for the Choice Willow brand of bats based in Redburn, Hertfordshire. This is a unique opportunity for a passionate bat maker and cricket enthusiast to help promote, design and influence the future of their small cricket business into its third decade, whilst enjoying the ambiance of their work environment within their indoor cricket centre. Short-term and temporary living space accommodation is available as part of the role. For more information, contact them on choicewillowrecruitment at gmail.com. Moving on to the T20 World Cup. Taha, what is your moment of the week? My moment of the week is um, Shaheen Afridi's. You know that that those first two overs against India to to set up a historic win. Pakistan had that horrendous World Cup record against India. Well, they'd never they'd never beaten India in a World Cup. So from twelve games, <laughs> it's, yeah, in, incredible. And you know they had to be on it from from right from the start. And it's it's easy to be, I guess, to be on it when you've got you know this six foot something being pulled quick who you know swings it at 
140k plus um and is just a phenomenal bowler to watch and you know first row at Sharma went LBW first ball that was that was a special delivery in itself but the, the Carol <laughs> I mean I didn't see the ball you know I just saw the stump splattered you know Kale having you know shaped up to, to to play the drive through the offside and you know the ball's just gone straight through him um phenomenal start and just a exceptional performance from Pakistan I mean you know, I was just so impressed by Shaheen I, I kind of expected you know he's gonna be he's gonna be right on it from the start but um you know, just the way they were in the field, there were there was there were no mishaps. They were right up for it. Um, the way I thought, you know, it might have seen them back to Shaheen up from the other end with the new ball, and you know, did what he did. But he only bowled two overs, and so so Baba was on it because he then had Hafiz the off spinner come on with Rashad Pan on strike, and he bowled two great overs. And then Shadab Khan was was giving you know Rashad Pan and Virat Kohli was sort of rebuilding in that middle overs phase, and and Shadab kept it tight. Um, and at the end, I thought Harris Ralph. I've I've seen a lot of Harris Ralph, and you know he's he's got raw pace, but I was, you know, I was still kind of left a bit unconvinced by him. And I, it was just so impressive where he just said, "I think he might have got hit for four And then he just said, "I'm basically just going to bowl slower balls now." And that's that's all he did. He wasn't he wasn't mixing it up. He was just going to bowl the slower balls into the surface, and and India couldn't really get him away. And I thought I thought he bowled excellently. It was just such a brilliant all round performance. And then the thing with thing with Pakistan's batting is it's so it's it's down to those two guys up top um and and they they've got a great partnership going and you know when they come off they they properly come off I think, they, they, I think they've got what three century partnerships now four I think it's three I think it's it? three no it's three at the top of the order I think it's four in total yeah but three three at the top of the order okay um <laughs> let's, be, let's be specific uh three at the top of the order um and you know they they're, they're not gonna run away with it because there's they don't they're not reliant on power um and so there was a great deal of running between the wickets there were there was times when you were sort of ramping up the pressure they had the dots they had the singles um and then you think oh pakistan they need a boundary this ball and they would get that boundary yeah um, there's a point where jadeja and chakravarti were keeping it very tight in the middle overs and the yeah. asking rate was creeping up to about nine yeah and with with the history of, of of these two teams in these tournaments, you think oh, if they get one wicket here, two wickets, and then the new the new batter takes his time to get in, then then you start to work because then there's Boomerow to come at the death. And yet there was just there in the end there was no jeopardy, there was no hiccup, and it was some performance to to start the World Cup really uh, for for Pakistan. Yeah, um, uh, just a really excellent display and quite you know quite fun to watch really. I'm wary of going too big on Pakistan considering that we're recording the pod before their game today against <laughs> yeah. New Zealand. And this pod is definitely coming out <laughs> after that game. Um, but I thought it was an amazing performance. Obviously, you, you, you put it very well. But the the partnership between Babar and Rizban, I thought was extraordinary. It, it reminded me of um, Kohli's, the, the greatest T20 World Cup moment of all time, <laughs> and Kohli's 83 against Australia. But it genuinely did in terms of the control of the run chase. Not just Kohli, but also Babar's 100 against New Zealand in the 2019 World Cup. Rizban, I love how... Um, he basically turns good length balls into short balls. He, he rocks so far back in his crease and it's an amazing ability to turn like pretty good balls into what he, he for him, is, is basically a bad ball. It's, it's a very wicketkeeper thing to do, mm. I think, to, to sort of go back and get get quite low in there, and then you're pulling it off your off your chest and your waist when really it's not it's not that short. Uh, it's Yeah, it's it's obviously interesting that you, it's Babar and Kohli. Obviously, it's, it can be a, you know, a pretty easy comparison to make between the two, you know, uh, great hopes for the you know the two most sort of 
fanatical, most cricket-loving countries in the world. But they do both... Babar now has this sort of aura that Kohli, like, at his best has as well, where you get these incredibly tense, high-pressure moments just because of, you know, how much is riding on this game, how many people want you to succeed. And I don't think they diffuse the tension because it's kind of impossible to. They kind of just ride it and kind of and kind of let let that kind of carry them forward so actually like and, and the skill is almost in allowing that pressure to build knowing that you are able to sort of to to, to bring it back at another point because to, I think a lot of sport this weekend has felt a little bit surreal to me and that you've had like like that England West Indies game I thought was just such a strange one you know there was a quite well a reason amount of hype in that you know the two finalists last time defending champions against the the ODI champions uh you know this should have been like a you know a real like high octane battle and then all of a sudden like it was just it was just weird and we'll get onto more of it and there was also also Liverpool Man U which was a, a, a surreal game as well Cricket podcast, ben. This, this, this was a this was surreal in a different sort of way and it was surreal looking back on it that you're like hang on did Paxton just win that by 10 wickets and not to say the result flattered them because they did it was the complete all-round performance it's that to beat India by that much you have to be completely on it and you can still see how it could have gone wrong at various points. The Stars, I think they were 71 for naught after 10 overs, needing 81 off the last 10. And you see it quite a lot in T20 cricket that you lose one wicket, someone comes in, struggles to get going, then the other wicket falls with the set, the other set, set batter. And then all of a sudden you're at 10s and you've got two new players and then it can fall away quite quickly. And then Babar just flicks a switch, hits those two sixes and that was the game done, basically. Babar really interests me because obviously... Uh People have been obsessed with him for three or four years now in terms of how good he looks. But it's how he rises to those pressure moments I find really impressive. I thought his celebration at the end was almost like a, a, a scene, like a battle scene in a film. And the, and the protagonist has just won the battle and he's riding his horse and he's coming back to his village. And he's uh, he's, he's the hero, like the way he's, with, his, with his arm held aloft. And, and looking at the, the side before the game and after the game, there was like a great pre-match speech given by Shadab as a great pre-match speech given by Babar. Um, and for all the chaos that surrounds Pakistani cricket, their side's actually relatively stable. And it's led by this young core of Shadab, Rizwan, Babar and Shaheen, who've never played in the T20 World Cup before. They're all relatively unscarred from previous tournament failures. Um, I think they're pretty well placed in this tournament. They've played a lot of cricket in the UAE. There's experience there as well. They've still got Safraz, Hafiz, Malik. Um, it's a, it's a well-balanced side that I think will will <clears throat> will be quite good. I'm not saying they're going to win it this time, but I think they're going to be a pretty strong side in the T20 World Cups for, for quite a long time. You're going to cut this bit out after the New Zealand game? Well, possibly. <laughs> I, I don't want to get too excited. But I do. I, do I, I think they're going to be a very strong T20 side for quite a long time. That, that yeah. bowling attack is really well-balanced. <clears throat> I've got a way of tempering expectation no matter how they do in the New Zealand game. Uh, so if they lose it, obviously that then it's like, a, oh, what, what, what's happening here? But if they win it, they're actually kind of through to the semis because uh, with India having lost and with Namibia and Scotland, uh, they should win those two games. And all of a sudden they're at four from five and it'd be very unlikely to go out with four wins from five. And then actually Pakistan teams don't get to be in that position where you're kind of coasting for the second half of a group stage already through. And I, I, it'll be, I don't know how they will how they will cope with that with being in that position. The other thing as well is that th- th- this was the perfect game from Pakistan. And while some of these players have been this good for a long time, uh, Shaheen is a brilliant bowler. Uh, and this, you can you can see him doing this to other sides. Some of those other players, particularly in the bowling department, were reaching a level that they've been at before, but that they maybe haven't been at for a while. Like Shadab Khan has been a bit of a worry for, for Pakistan for a, for a little while. 
Uh, he bowled, bowled really well. And if, and if he is back at the level, then great. But, uh, you know, it might be that other attacks are able to get on top of him. Similarly with Hafiz, Harris Ralph is a guy who blows hot and cold. I mean, these slower balls do make him look like a some, some more of a complete bowler. But equally, this is one performance of going on and a couple of stuff in, in some T20 leagues. And we don't, I mean, presumably... Babar and Rizwan, one of them has to get out at some point, uh, and then, then we'll see how the, how the rest of that batting lineup fares. So, so there, there's uh, th- this. This was a game where everything went right for Pakistan, and what what we aren't, we haven't, what we don't know. Therefore, I mean, if they play that well throughout the tournament, no one will get close. Uh, but if they don't, if if they if you know if there is a crack, then that's will be the test. I suppose. That, that's that's the one thing for me. It's that it's it's what happens after Babar and Rizwan. Fakhzaman really like him as a player. Um, and I think he can actually, you know, he can, he has that ability to tee off. Um, um, and then you've got the the two, two the two <laughs> the two guys who could just keep on going if he's and and Malik, and they've they've got that experience. But you know, it's still it's still all about those two guys up top. Um, and so it's almost like there was a there was a there was a part of me in, in watching that game where I was interested to see, okay, if after ten overs, if they do lose that one wicket, can we can we see a couple of those guys then step up? And that would be almost the more for a Pakistan fan, that would be the almost more reassuring to see that. All right, so after these two, we've still got something that can so the guys that can take us to these chases and and, and nail it. Um, for now, it was. I mean, but the other day it was all about those two. Mm. So let, let let it be for now. And who knows what happened today? Um, Wiz and India editor Adia Sharm is our man on the ground in the UAE. Here he is on India's defeat, the reaction to it back home, and the atmosphere at the game. First off, what was the atmosphere like in the ground? It looked pretty good off the TV. Uh, it was so good to see India-Pakistan uh, happening again after after COVID because uh, the crowds were back. Uh, there was plenty of enthusiasm. Uh, you know, starting, even simple things like uh, right in front when the buses came out, uh, there were plenty of India and Pakistan supporters right, side by side chanting as the players came out. And then, uh, you know, even like the first day when I came to Dubai, uh, right at the airport, a staff member saw me uh, with the tournament bag, and he was like, uh, "Oh, you watch cricket?" And then he's like, oh, "Pakistan's gonna win on the 24th." And then there was one more guy saying, uh, "No chance about that." So there was, you know, a lot of banter, a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, you know, even days before, you could see even three hours before the game started, stream of people standing outside waiting in queues. And uh, it was all good. It was all healthy and nice. Yeah, it seemed very well-natured, not only between the fans, but also the players as well. Yeah. So uh, you, you could see, you could see the, you know, the relaxed atmosphere. There's a lot, obviously, spoken about India-Pakistan games in general and how big it is. But, uh, you know, in the, in the face of the players, as, as they practice, as they warm up in the lead-up to the clash, you can see a lot of relaxed, uh, you know, smiles and a lot of uh, happiness around. So it, it's, it's really good to see that. Uh, it's, it's good for the game and it's obviously good for the players as well. On to the cricket. What's the reaction been to the defeat in India? Uh, obviously a bit of surprise by the kind of, uh, you know, the manner of defeat. Uh, I'm pretty sure none, none was expecting a, a proper 10 wicket thrashing. But uh, it must be said that uh, a lot of people do understand that Pakistan played really well. Like initially the Shahin series that was so good that you, you can't really pinpoint on one player and say that, that he played badly. It was such a good spell. And that's something that, you know, even Virat Kohli said at the end of the, of the match, that it was, it was such a good, it was such a good bowling. And, 
yeah i mean it it was sort of uh, you know it is sort of the challenges that uh, india knew that they're going to face with uh, you know babar azam and rizwan also doing well so it's it's good to see that there's not a lot of backlash it's it's all good and it's it's you know it's uh, it's it's kind of positive in understanding that this was uh, you know well deserved for pakistan and how they how they managed to win it do you think india should make any changes for the next game uh, i personally thought that someone like arashwin could have been uh, really helpful up front because he knows how to how to capture wickets in the power plays and he's the sort of attacking bowler you need in in tournaments like these because uh, with bhuvneshwar uh, bumrah and shami at the start you get sort of a a conservative or defensive bowling lineup because bhuvi is not as he used to be so in that sense i feel someone like an arashwin can bring in that attacking option at the start and can get you wickets and that's really what india need right now would you bring in ashwin for one of the seamers uh that's a tricky one uh i I would want him to play the role that Varun Chakravarty does but even Chakravarty hasn't done anything wrong really in the last uh, 12 months or so but uh, I I I do think that there is an option of playing three spinners I I do given the pitches and and because India is playing most of its matches in Dubai uh, it does make sense to have that extra spin option but then also depends on what Hardik Pandya's uh, uh, fitness is if he's there to bowl that extra two overs or so then we might not need the extra seamer in the team. Mm. I get the sense with India that there's less clarity on what the best team is. There were some pretty big changes in a World Cup year. Varun Chakravarty's barely played for India at all going into this World Cup. Um Surakumar Yadav has been brilliant in the IPL for a very long time but he's played very little cricket for India. Do you get the sense that Virat Kohli's not quite sure what his what his best team actually is? Um I think uh, when it comes to the, the overall composition, most of the things, most of the most of the things answered. Like they know what they have to do, but uh, certain things are still, you know, not very clear. Just like the number six option for bowling, you've got five bowlers in the team, but you always have to be prepared for something like an off day for one bowler. You need to have some sort of a backup. And uh, India has had so many good batsmen at the top of the order, but there has been really not much spoken about uh, having a proper number six. bowling option in the team so uh, you know there are some bases that still need to be covered and uh, i think in that sense india should have you know uh, done something better in preparation to it uh, but yeah i think overall there are some some things like even the form of bhuvneshwar kumar and all those things that that are some sort of a worry for india cool um good to have you on adia um we'll hear from you next week england got off to a winning start against uh, title holders West Indies. Um it was largely hiccup free bowling West Indies out for 55 chasing it four down with eight wickets in hand. Um Ben what did you make of the game? You said it was slightly surreal. Yeah, I mean England did play well. Uh you know all their plans came off best than they could have dreamed. You know I think you you sort of have a bit of a gamble maybe you think you can sneak through one over of Moeen to uh to the openers and then he uh he does all right the first overs he keep him on for the second then he takes a wicket so you keep him on. takes another wicket to keep him on all of a sudden he's got 217 his best figures in in T20 internationals you know England have questions over who that sort of that bowler will be to, almost to take over from the opening bowlers or even to open the bowling and in this game Wokes opened well and then you had Mills and Jordan providing you know pretty good uh, imitations of middle overs and forces uh there was a question about when were they going to introduce Adil Rashid uh it got to like the 10th over and although West Indies are 6 down it's Pollard and Russell middle we know what they can do and then he comes on bowls this uh this magical googly to uh to to Russell first ball that uh, just completely outfoxes him and ends up with figures of 4 for 2 the cheapest ever for for in uh, in in T20 eyes and then the chase was also pretty weird and the England were 
trying to go so quickly, they ended up actually not going as quick as they would have done if they just kind of batted normally and probably scored at about eight and over. Uh, but yeah, it was it was it was weird because of how much of it's it's hard to say that England played that well because this was kind of a bit of an implosion from West Indies, but the kind that's also kind of built into how they play their cricket. And that's not to say that they should play it differently. This can happen to any team can lose a T Twenty game on their day, uh, but that it's not it's not as if I mean England were good, but it's not as if they will always be that good or they will bowl that well again against other teams and not bowl them out for 56 and West Indies will bat with the same approach and score 220 um, so there's not almost not too much we read into it apart from the fact that it's a, a huge win for England in the context of getting through to the semis um, Todd David Milan was called to bat in at number seven what, what do you make out of that that demotion to clarify he wasn't injured it was Morgan explained it as net run rate so guys to come in I just Look, I just thought it, it was a bit strange watching it because I thought um, I could kind of get the first promotion, you know, Bester coming in. But Damalan is not incapable of, <clears throat> of, you know, teeing off from ball one. He, you know, remember that 99 against South Africa um, last year where he kind of went four, six, first couple of balls, you know, just completely went for it. Um, he's not incapable of that. And also the fact that, you know, West Indies had their left arm spinner on, um, you know, we talk about these matchups in T20 cricket, Milan, you know, instead of having those right-handers come in, Milan could have Milan could have been that guy. I know Moeen came in at four, um, but, you know, Milan could have come in at five as well. I just thought it was, I just thought it was weird that he was just, you know, especially when there's so much talk about his place in the team. I thought it was a, it was an odd looking decision. I thought he should have just come in. Um, and it, I mean, you know, we saw, a lot of those guys, Livingston, Bairstow, Moeen, go for single-figure scores. They were trying to go for it. Why couldn't Milan have been afforded the same opportunity, I guess? Mm. You know, if he gets out first ball, right? He gets out first ball, you know? Mm. he It's not like he's incapable of going for it. Yeah. He, he that, could have just that, been told, this is what you've got to do. I suppose there's also the argument of what, what do you actually want to get out of that sort of situation when you know you're going to win the game? Obviously, England chose to go for the net run rate boost, but they could have also gone for, okay, we're guaranteed a win here. Let's give two batters who haven't had the same game time in these conditions, who perhaps, you know, are not, not in the greatest of form, who we want to see a bit more from, chance to sort of get to grips with it when they not have a bit of time, but at least can try things without any fear of failure. I mean, obviously, they, in general, there's little fear of failure, but still. So, I mean, they could have gone for, you know, Milan at three, Morgan at four, and said, okay, you guys just, just kind of bat, and hope by the end of it, you're 20 off 18, and, and you're sort of into the tournament kind of thing. Uh, but I, but to be honest, I didn't really mind it. I don't, but I, and I don't think there is anything to be read into it about England's plans. I think Milan will bat at number three in their next game, and if they're chasing anything other than very, very low totals that, that they want to uh, get a run on, then he will be their number three uh, probably until they are forced to make a decision in a, in a crunch game. I think. Mm. I thought it was quite encouraging just how well Rashid and Moeen bowled. We were we were slightly concerned pre-tournament about England's lack of spin depth, but seeing how the tournament's gone so far. Uh, it's quite interesting that India actually only picked two of their four spinners in their game and then seeing England's two guys doing really well there, you still got the Livingston as well. I think that's that's pretty encouraging going forward. Um, there have been other games in the tournament as well. Australia beats Africa in a fairly low-scoring game. Um, but my, my favourite game, weirdly, was, well, maybe not that weird, uh, was the Sri Lanka-Bangladesh game. Uh, Sri Lanka chased down 172. That was a great knock from um, Charith Asalanka, who hit 80 off 49. Um, I thought this was a good example of getting too cute with your matchups. Uh, Bangladesh tried to bowl part-time off spinners to 
Sri Lanka's two set left-handers, Asalanka and Rajapaksa, and they basically had absolutely none of it. They'd blasted 31 of two overs that, that changed the game. Um, really good, clean hitting. Can I, can I something on the Australia-Africa game? Go for it. Yeah, I, I thought uh, Australia are going to be quite an interesting team to watch this tournament because they basically just picked like a, a test match 11, essentially. Like they've got Matthew Wade, their keeper at seven. They've got, you know, uh, Stark, Cummins, Hazelwood. The first time those three have played together in the T20I, but that's their, that's their test attack. And then Zambra's in a line, okay. Uh, you, you sort of look at that team and think hmm, that team might struggle to make the semis of this World Cup, but that team would beat England 5-0 in the Ashes. <laughs> uh, but also they, they might do all right in this World Cup because in a sort of similar way to, to, to Pakistan, having brilliant new ball bowlers and batsmen who can, I mean, they kind of had a bit of an iffy day with the bat, but you'd hope that once the likes of Warner uh, and Smith and Finch get into this tournament, that they can sort of do a similar, like, they're not scoring too quickly, but they're making enough that those bowlers can can do something with it. Um, it'll be interesting to see because they're kind of they're almost doing it a little bit different to some of the other teams in this tournament in that mm. they are really cobbling together those final four overs. But but the other thing as well is that if you have a new ball attack that's taking wickets, that does make it a lot more easy to sneak in four overs from somewhere. So the yeah, interesting teams that, to keep that, is, that is true. That is true. Um, since the last pod, Scotland qualified for the Super Twelves, being Oman in Oman. That was my moment of the week. Uh, they also got thumped by Afghanistan in the Super 12, losing by 130 runs in one of the biggest ever defeats in, in T20 World Cup history. Um, I almost commend them for still trying to go for it after that early collapse. That is basically how they beat Bangladesh, to be fair to them, when they were at 53 for six. They went for it, and that's how they ended up putting up a match-winning total. Uh, Mujib picked up five for 20, Rashid Khan four for nine. So that's figures of nine for 29 between them, which is just ridiculous. Rashi Khan, at the time of recording, has 99 T20i wickets and an average of 12, <laughs> which is just absurd. Um, Mark, what was very good again for Scotland, taking one for 23? Why are you laughing? Pod, pod favourite. Uh, he's pod favourite. Mark, Mark, Mark yeah, Watt. But... Um, I, I really like him, and, and not just as a footballer, but as a bowler too. Um, I think County should be lining up to sign him next summer um, for the blast and possibly in the 100 too. Um, but just on what I wanted to read out this message from a listener and a, and a former club teammate of what up in Scotland who said, I just want to say this about Watty. He introduced himself to me just in a circle of lads chatting in the bar of the pavilion after the game as if he's just another fella who plays on a Saturday. Never name drops or even really talks about high level stuff unless you ask him. He's genuinely engaging and enthusiastic when he coached us at university level. And at Club Windsor Nets was actually asked enough to watch me bowl and suggest things to try the spinner. And that's just me as a pure part-time leggy. He probably gets the most chat in the club WhatsApp group and can laugh at himself and also dish it out, but not in a dickhead way. What he said on the pod about it being like a family is so true, even to the extent that the club kind of has its own language to it. We hear him being nostalgic and reminiscing about lads who used to play at the club and nights out, but never, ah, when I was at Lanx, blah, blah, blah. I mean, the thing that shows it is the fact that I played there for literally one season and probably missed games at the start and the end and immediately felt completely welcomed and at home there. Not at all like the new kid. I thought that was a really, really nice message. Um, anyway, moving on. Here are Butch's thoughts on the T20 World Cup so far and the news of the IPL will expand to 10 teams for the 2022 season. The biggest story off the pitch in the World Cup so far emerged this morning. Um, Quinton de Kock made himself unavailable for South Africa's World Cup clash against West Indies after refusing to take the knee. Earlier today, Cricket South Africa issued a directive before the match that all players should make the gesture. Tukok hasn't said anything public yet, but in June said, it's my own personal opinion, it's everyone's own decision. No one is forced to do anything when he was asked about not taking knee in a previous South Africa series. 
Um, Butch, what's your initial reaction to that story? Uh, he, he must really, really not, um, uh, not want to take any sort of stance against racism if he's willing to, to lose his place in a World Cup team because of it. I mean, I, I don't understand. I, I'm really struggling to come up with, with any kind of comprehension as to why a player would feel it necessary to, to take such a stance against, and, let, and let's be clear about what this is, this is a stance against racism. Nothing else. Why a player would feel so strongly that he did not want to, to take a stance, even if it is just a gesture against racism, that he would cost himself a place in his country's World Cup 11 because of it. Can you, I can't explain that. No, so as far as, as far as I know, he's not made any statement as to why he has his reasons for not wanting to take a knee. I mean, we can, we can delve into the reasons why Cricket South Africa have felt it necessary to mandate their team to do so. I think they had some sort of idea that they had given them options as to, as to ways in which they could show their support for an anti-racist stance which didn't work out particularly well because half the team were doing one thing, another half were doing the other and some weren't doing anything at all. So they were forced into saying, right, this is what you are going to do. And Quentin de Kock has decided he didn't want to do any of it. Um, I, I find it utterly bizarre. And yes, look, it's, it is his own free will to, to, to support or not support whatever he wants to. Um, I, I, would, I would question myself as to how important it was to me that I made that I made it known that I was not supporting an anti-racist stance, that it would cost me my place in a team. Answer me that. Yeah, I mean, part of, I guess, my own frustration to it is that you see relatively few cricketers put their head above the parapet on any stance, and then to see a player have their World Cup place taken away from them to stand against an anti-racism message is just so depressing. Well, I mean, you, that's it. I mean, it's, it's depressing. It's, it's, it's unfathomable. I, I really, I hope that Quentin de Kock at some point finds the, finds the words or finds the time to enlighten us as to why he has taken this stance because there's only one way to read it. Mm. You know, he, he, he cares more about, he cares more about not supporting an anti-racist stance than he does his own position in the, in the team. And I, 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 and I'm quite, I'm quite uh, open for anybody to tell me how I've me- how I've misunderstood that. I'm sure that's not the last time we'll talk about this. Moving on on to the IPL, um, reasonably big story this week. The IPL is expanding to ten teams from 2022. Um, that's up from eight. There are, there are going to be 74 games up from 60. We've been saying all year that there's too much cricket. Well, here's some more. Well, I mean, there's too much IPL cricket let alone too much cricket, full stop. I mean, the, 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 the tournament itself, I can't remember, when was the last time that they had um, 10 teams? It was back in the, uh, the early teens, wasn't it? Um, and, you know, they, they, yeah. yeah, they pretty quickly ditched the idea because it, because it became so bloated and so, um, uh, and so easy to miss, I suppose. I think one of the, one of the great things about shorter tournaments as much as, as short as they are nowadays is that you kind of it's it, it's appointment to view you kind of don't want to miss anything if you if you expand a tournament which is already the longest going 60 games to 74 
you're just adding so much um so much fodder i suppose so much so much packaging so much extraneous stuff that you don't need to tune into everything you're not going to get um great entertainment throughout that amount of time having said that somebody paid 930 million for the for the look now franchise um which tells you that there is a value in it somewhere it just might not be in the uh, the eyes of the cricket fan or the casual cricket fan i suppose um you know the one of the warnings, one of the start warnings that somebody like Michael Holding gave many, many years ago at the beginning of, of, of T20 was, you know, I, I, don't, I don't agree entirely with Mikey's stance on T20 cricket because I think it's done incredible things for the sport in terms of spreading it, in terms of giving it, um, giving it a lift in, into areas where perhaps it had never touched before. So we don't agree, we don't see totally eye to eye on the, on the merits or otherwise of T20. But one of the things that he was always keen to say was that eventually it will eat the sport. 74 games in an IPL? Whew. That's a lot of games. Yeah, on that, it's not even a long-term or even medium-term concern anymore. With that amount of money being, being um, splashing about... How how worried are you about what the cricket landscape could look like even in five years' time? It's it's such a big revenue generator. It dominates. It's going to dominate the schedule like the Premier League does the English football calendar, isn't it? If if there's this much money floating about. Yeah, well, funny you should mention the, the Premier League. I mean, the, the Glazers, the the, the brothers um, who own Manchester United, couldn't afford um, an IPL franchise. Um, some might say they can't afford Manchester United either but that's another argument um, entirely um, so look, I mean the, the money the money is there the money talks there is interest there what it what it does to the to the rest of the to the rest of the game what it does to players actually funnily enough I think that's that's perhaps an area that I know more about than, than others is that the players at the moment are in a position whereby they can, they can pretty much pick and choose how they want to make their livelihood or you know what, what things to concentrate on in, in order to make best of their short time as professional sports people. And of course, another, another two um, IPL franchises, I don't know how many players that is in terms of a squad, probably mid-20s or whatever. So that's you know, another, another 16 international players been taken out of whatever... Um, domestic leagues or whatever international cricket that they might be involved in elsewhere. Um, it's it, you're you're you automatically dilute what goes on or, or the standard of the rest of world sport. Now, some people might say, you know what, that's great because as we've seen with Scotland and you know Afghanistan more recently, um, you know the, the teams, the, the the associate teams, Papua New Guinea, whatever it might be, Namibia. The, these teams doing what they're doing in the qualification. It shows you that there is talent and stuff ready to come in, and the world of cricket is expanding um, ever more. Uh, the only the only caveat to that is is where do the players, um, where do the sort of like the, the big the big players, the recognisable players from these franchises end up? Well, pretty much, or sorry, these countries end up. If they're any good, they end up playing applying their wares as T20 mercenaries around the world. They're not, they're not there to sort of spread the gospel about the, the rest of the sport. And so therefore, even as the game expands, it contracts into, into a T20 corner. Um, and again, I, I go back to Mikey again. He was incredibly prescient because if, that is, if that's the way that it goes and that's the way it looks as though it will, because that's where the, the money and the finance and where the interest and the excitement and the TV and everything is, 
then the sport will eat itself because T20 will be the, the draw at the exclusion of all others. And we mm. might sit here in England and say, well, you know, we've got it fine. We, we, test matches are fine. And we've got first-class cricket, which is being pushed to the margins. We've got another, we've got another, another small, a short-form tournament that we've started ourselves. Um, it, it won't take long before something that we think is very comfortable and something we think that we've taken great care of over the years becomes something that is, that is slipping away from us too. So um, none of these ha- things happen without causing ripples. That's all I will say. Um, and so you've, you, another big, big pebble has been thrown into the pond and those ripples are going to keep going out and they're going to affect lots and lots of things around them. Nothing happens in a vacuum. Just finally, do, do you think that we're the most oblivious to that change in England because we have test matches with full crowds. Um, most of our cricket is, is well well watched. Um, our test team is still quite good as much as we might criticise it. Um, our players are paid well enough that they don't have to reject the opportunity to play for their countries as much, but other countries are seeing it. Um, I mean, this was the first year really that the England test team, obviously COVID played a part in this, but the England test team have, has basically only played their first team first choice team in, in one test match this year out of yeah. 11 or 12. Do you think that we're actually only slowly realising um, something that people in other countries have, have noticed have for a long time? For a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, and I think the, the fans of English cricket, the ones that travel during the winters, the ones that have had, you know, have had a great time following um, England cricket teams for, for better or for worse over the, the last 30 years or so would know it in their heart of hearts too because you know they would know that when they first went to, to follow you know when they first watched Alex Stewart make 200s and Barbados or whatever it was that that they shared the grounds with the local fans um, but now if England go on tour you know when, when England go on tour to West Indies come uh, come 2022 the chances are there will, there will be England fans and England fans only in the grounds because the, the local fans have been priced out of the ticket as they were in 2004, the last time I, I played down there. You know, we, we won that series in the, in the test match in Barbados. And the, the ground was red, white and blue. You know, little Kensington Oval, tiny as it is. Um, the, the local fans that had any tickets had sold them on because it, it was more lucrative for them to sell them than it was to keep them themselves. So, you know, this, that creep has been happening for a very long time. And we've been part of that, I think, as, as, as an England as England, um, the only the only time it actually ever comes back to you is when you suddenly think, "Oh, hang on a second, we've got no one to play," or when we do go and play, they're no good. You know, you go to you go to Sri Lanka and you duff up Sri Lanka in their backyard on turning turning pitches in Gaul, which is very very welcome. You know, great fun to be there as a as a as an, an English commentator commentating on England beating the home team the way that they did Joe Root playing so brilliantly. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, "Crikey." If, if Sri Lanka can't beat us at Gaul, back-to-back test matches on Turners in Gaul, Sri Lanka's got a problem in terms of test match cricket. How long are we going to be coming here um, for test tours or test tours that mean anything beyond you know, a bit of practice before you stop off in India, perhaps? Um, lots to ponder. Mm, nice, upbeat way to, to end. Um, good, to, <laughs> good, good, good to have you back with us. <laughs> Yeah, it's good to be back. A bit more England news. Uh, the fifth test of the England-India series has been rescheduled. It will take place uh, in July 2022 at Edgebaston. Ben, you have opinions on this. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's 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 kind of... At first, I didn't really know how to feel because I 
felt like I felt differently to most of the general mood on this. Uh, but I have since become more certain that I just think it's it's a very bad thing, in, or not very bad, but it's, it's it's not great that this has come in, that this now has been rescheduled and it kind of says a reasonable amount about what the cricket, you know, economy is today and, and that and that sort of thing. I mean, we, you know, we've just had the news that the IPL is being expanded to 10 teams and we've talked in this podcast before about how, you know, India, if, if India make it to the T20 World Cup final, they play a series against New Zealand that starts three days after that and then basically don't stop playing until the end of July next year. Uh, they've expanded the IPL to 10 teams, uh, which is packing more games into that time. I know, that, I know each team is still going to play the same amount of games, but it's still a more condensed, it's either going to be a longer tournament or a more condensed tournament. And either way, that's going to just be sort of more uh, cricket ever present kind of thing. And, and then and then you get into the England series and they've been like, yeah, sure, why not just tack an extra game on there? It's not going to make last summer's series feel any more or less complete, I think. I don't think like either set of fans, if this game was won or lost, the other set is going to be like, kind of doesn't really count. Uh, and I don't think if you set out to begin with and say, what does the ideal schedule for this summer? You think like, oh yeah, let's just stick a one-off test between England and India in there. It's just the, like the kind of the short-termist, well, we've got a TV contract to fulfill and there's no way that anything could ever get in the way of that. So let's just like shove some more into these players. At some point, some cricket has to be cancelled. The calendar has to be slimmed down. And you have to think about what actually makes most sense from a player welfare point of view and also from a product point of view because as we've seen this year England have played their first strength team in one test match out of what 12 or 11 or 12 I mean I guess one's got one one was cancelled uh and and at some point people are just going to switch off to that think like well I can't if 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 the best players aren't going to be out of the if the contest is diluted I'm going to not be that bothered too and you'd think that there had that there would be a way to get to even an economically sensible solution when you know the ecb and the bci can sit down with sky and star sports and be like look okay i know it's not what was what originally agreed but it's going to you know can we reach some sort of solution where we don't have to just like force these players who are already like like working to the bone to to, to play another test match that like is like not at all what we would do if we were if, if we were starting from the beginning. So I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, as much as, you know, when it comes to it, it will be, you know, an, an excellent spectacle between two teams very closely matched in these conditions. And it'll be nice to see Stokes and maybe Archer to see what they can do against India. Also, I just think that it would have been, and especially when England are so happy to, you know, cancel tests that don't make sense for them. But then when it comes to another series, they will just like shove it in wherever they can because that's the one that matters the money-wise. It's just quite a... A depressing uh yeah it's, it's too much cricket for a very select few teams yes it's basically england and india mm. for everyone else it's not enough cricket which is very but, but, but those two teams play each other 20 times a year literally it would be uh what they play they play each other 10 times no 12 13 times 12 times in that series in india another three times this summer another four times this summer uh yes four times yeah. this summer and then another seven times next summer mm. uh yeah, so that's a lot of cricket. And finally, some some highlights from the WBBL. Uh, the other day, uh, Darcy Brown, the 18-year-old Australia quick, took a hat-trick for Adelaide in a defeat to Brisbane Heat. Irish quick, Kim Garth had at one point today, remarkable figures of three overs, three maidens, three wickets for no runs in Melbourne Stars' win over the Sydney Thunder. And the other day, Sophie Devine scored 100 in a win for Perth Scorchers. Um, over the the Sydney Thunder. Brisbane, at the time recording, the top of the table, seven points from five games, but it's very tight. Five of the eight teams are currently on five points. Anyway, that is all we have time for. Cheers, Ben. Cheers, Tar. This has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast, and we will be back next week.
Podcast Network.